morning. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. The Russian war in Ukraine entering its 17th month. Uh, it was once a daily lead story in mainstream news, been kind of pushed to the back burner as other stories arise. That's not unusual. Um, of course, there's nothing Moscow would like better than to have us move on. My guest, John Berger, is a writer for Alatia and has authored At the Foot of the Cross, Lessons from Ukraine. It's a, really a deep and profound interview with the patriarch of the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church, uh, his beatitude, Svatoslav Shevchuk. And uh, John joined us uh, a week or two ago, and I said at the time we needed to have a longer conversation about this. And John, good to have you with me. Thanks. Hello, Al. Nice to be here. Yeah. Well, let's let's uh, start out with just some basic questions. What is the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church? The Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church is the largest of the 23 Eastern Catholic Churches in communion with Rome. Its history can really be traced back um, to um, to 988 when the Slavs were uh, baptized under the leadership of Prince Volodymyr, uh, thanks to missionaries from from Greek-speaking Constantinople. Um, there was a, a further development in the history of the Church in the late 16th century when um, a number of Orthodox bishops decided to come in, back into full communion with Rome in exchange for guarantees that their Byzantine traditions would be allowed to continue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that that's where the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church really begins as an institution. And you find it mostly uh, in Western Ukraine, but as a result of emigration, it's become really a worldwide church. There's a quite a number of Ukrainian Greek Catholic parishes in the U.S. and Canada today. Now, what roughly what percentage of uh, Ukrainians identify or are members of the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church? In Ukraine, about 10%. About 10%. There's also a smaller Roman Catholic presence there in the west of Ukraine, too, as a result of uh, Changing borders over the centuries uh, and, and the Polish influence there in the west of that country, yeah. of Ukraine. Uh, when we talked last time, you gave us a very brief uh, overview of um, of uh, Svatoslav Shevchuk's uh, biography. How did, he ended up uh, in an Episcopal position fairly young. How did that happen? Mm-hmm. He was. He and a number of other um, <clears throat> priests his age really grew up in the underground church when Ukraine was part of the Soviet Union. Their church was made illegal. Um, so he studied in an underground seminary, but then just as um, I guess he was turning around 18 or 19, the Soviet Union collapsed and the church was allowed to... Uh, come out into the light again so he um, I guess the bishop at the time saw some potential in him and mm-hmm. 
sent him and a number of other uh, seminarians to Argentina to study Spanish because there was a need. There was a uh, growing Ukrainian community in in and around Buenos Aires, and uh, they needed priests there, so they saw some potential in him and some of his colleagues. So he did uh, a lot of his seminary studies in South America, came back and was ordained, and then um, because the the country really needed to recover from uh, a lot of the wounds of the Soviet past. Uh, there was a lot of confusion in society and um, um, absence of uh, Christian values, at least in the in the public space. Uh, he was asked to go to Rome to get a, an advanced degree in with the idea of coming back and teaching in the seminary in Ukraine. So he went there and um, studied moral theology, got a doctorate at the Angelicum, and then was uh, became eventually rector of the seminary. So um, in, uh, I guess, the 2009 or so, the... Um, bishop of that Ukrainian community in Argentina was retiring or uh, needed an auxiliary and uh, he he was tapped for that to go down there and help out as a bishop so he was ordained in Ukraine and mm. sent back to Argentina wow. a few years later the head of the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church uh, his beatitude Lubomir Hussar decided to retire so Sviatoslav is um, well they would they would all gather as bishops at a uh, synod and they you know the purpose was to elect a new leader for the church and he was elected he was only about 40 at the time wow he did did the invasion of Russia come as a shock to him Well, as he always points out, this war really started in 2014 okay. in the wake of the Revolution of Dignity in uh, or what many people would call the Maidan Revolution in Kiev. That's in against the Viktor Yanukovych was forced right, out of office. So yeah. Yanukovych uh, fled Ukraine and took refuge in Russia and uh, he was replaced by uh, Petro Poroshenko as president. So Vladimir Putin um, orchestrated a uh, referendum in Crimea to uh, to have Crimea return to Russia. As you know, um, under Khrushchev, I think, back in 1954, it was signed over to Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And also, uh, there was this uh, rebellion in the east, in the, in the Donbass region of Ukraine in 2014, that uh, really was the beginning of, of the current war. So, okay. I think when the bombs started falling on Kiev on the, the night of February 24th, 2022, Many people were perhaps shocked by the the um, you know, 
you know, the, the uh, fireworks nature of the whole thing, but mm-hmm. um, it was really no surprise. And, you know, the the Russian military had been building up along the border for months before that. Okay. Okay. Um, I mean, this is... This is really it's amazing uh, to us. I mean, we've, never, we've not seen an invasion like this uh, since uh, you know the second third of the twentieth century, uh, at least in Europe. Uh, and this calls for uh, extraordinary leadership. It seems to me, uh, spiritual leadership in particular. What does he feel? His uh, what does he feel? He has to offer uh, the members of the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church during a time of crisis like this? What is his focus? Certainly um, part of it is uh, rallying the troops, so to speak, and encouraging the people to hold fast and stay strong. But uh, a, a very important part of that was to encourage his priests and bishops to remain with their flock. Mm-hmm. even in those parts of Ukraine that were under attack and, okay. and their lives were in danger. Um, so af- after a few months, when the the casualty toll started mounting and there were a number of uh, attacks on civilian targets as well, I think his Beatitudes started to see that there there was and would be and will be a great need for healing uh, of people as individuals, of society, of uh, communities that were were greatly impacted by the war. And at this point, I think I read something that eight out of ten Ukrainians have someone either in their family or close to them that have uh, either died as a result of the invasion or or severely injured. Wow. So there will be a, a great need for healing, and, and his beatitude is uh, putting the wheels into motion for that um, healing the wounds of war mm-hmm. going forward and starting already even before any kind of a, a peace comes about. It, the church... In a situation like going back to 2014 and up into the present day, the church has to be the church, but the church is a church within a given um, political environment. So the church is called to take a stand uh, on a spiritual and moral foundation without without becoming uh, just a tool of, of politics. How can the church take a stand in an environment like that without appearing to be political? I think by simply following the principles of Catholic social teaching, um, sure, there there could be the danger. As Pope Francis warned Patriarch Kirill of, of becoming Putin's altar boy, right, right. Uh, that there would be a danger here, too, of uh, a church leader being um, subservient and useful only to uh, the political regime in Kiev. But I, I really believe that his beatitude sees, first of all, the Ukrainian nation made up of individuals and 
communities and values and those great principles of Catholic social teaching, um, solidarity, uh, subsidiarity, and working for the common good, etc., are really the the roadmap for him um, and and for his church. And this is something that is not new to him because in those days after the breakup of the Soviet Union, he as a seminary rector relied on the same principles. Yeah. Yeah. No, very good. I and that transcends partisanship. I mean, uh, so. Uh, John, hold it there. We've got to take a break. We'll come back, continue conversation. My guest, John Berger. Uh, the book is At the Foot of the Cross, Lessons from Ukraine. Good I'm Al Cresta. With me is John Berger. He is the author of At the Foot of the Cross, The Les- Lessons from Ukraine. It's an extended interview, a very insightful interview, with um, the patriarch of the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church, Archbishop Svatoslav Shevchuk. And uh, we're trying to get an, an, an understanding of what uh, this spiritual leader's uh, task is in a Ukraine, which is now, of course, uh, under invasion from Russia, I, I guess I'm. I would like you to try to, and I know it's complicated, but Ukrainian Greek Catholics form about ten percent of the Ukrainian people, and then there's a, a, a Roman uh, Catholic group too. Um, is majority Ukrainians Orthodox in some way? Yes, I would say that the majority of the country is Orthodox. And how many, again, roughly, what percentage of those would be uh, look to Russia, the Russian Orthodox uh, patriarch, uh, for leadership? And how many would, what percentage would look to uh, Constantinople? Well, at this point, I don't think too many people are looking towards the Russian Orthodox okay. Church for leadership, <laughs> although right. there is, there is. <laughs> Certainly, that uh, technically that that connection, of course, uh, because of uh, you know the way history has worked out um, and how the oversight of the Ukrainian Catholic, I'm, I'm sorry, the Ukrainian Orthodox Church um, was transferred uh, in history from Constantinople to Moscow as the Moscow church developed and as Russia took over more and more parts of of the land we now know as Ukraine. Um, and up until the time of this invasion, certainly there was still a very strong um, Ukrainian Orthodox church under the Moscow Patriarchate. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I think... Uh, that has all changed now. Um, even the metropolitan of that church in Kiev, Metropolitan Onufri, uh, has distanced himself quite a bit from, from the Moscow Patriarchate. 
So, I mean, with this recent bombing of the Transfiguration Cathedral in Odessa, there were uh, 300, I don't know, maybe the the number is higher now, but at least 300 Orthodox priests who have signed a letter, a petition, to once and for all formally uh, sever the ties with the Moscow Patriarchate. Wow. At the same time, there's this um, newer Ukrainian, it's called the Orthodox Church of Ukraine, which was pretty much established by a, a tomos, a decree from the Ecumenical Patriarch of Constantinople, uh, Bartholomew, in 2018. And that seems to be thriving more and more, and um, certainly they they have no divided uh, loyalties. Yeah, yeah. I I just uh, I thinking here about uh, John Paul II in Etrunum Sint, where he asked the Orthodox to help him find a new way of exercising the primacy of the papacy uh, that's open to a, a new situation. I think of Pope Francis's interest in pursuing the restoration of communion with the Orthodox churches. Uh, is, is that being made more difficult because of this, uh, because of what has, because of the Russian invasion? I mean, are, are there, are the lines of communication uh, weaker today? Uh, have we, has the ecumenical effort had to be put entirely on hold? It's a mixed bag. I mean, it's always been difficult because, um, well, for one thing, it's uh, one of the challenges is for the Orthodox churches themselves to come to agreements on certain things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when the Catholic Church tries to enter into dialogue with with our Eastern Orthodox brethren, um, you know, you sometimes have to wonder, you know, which is the uh, which is the voice to follow right. from the east, and um, so they have their challenges. And with the uh, granting of the Tomos to the Ukraine, the uh, Orthodox Church of Ukraine, Moscow did sever ties with Constantinople. They felt that. Uh, Wow. The ecumenical patriarch did not have the right to do that on his own. Then it had to be a, uh, a a union of all the Orthodox churches to grant that tomos. So wow. that even before the invasion of 2022, that certainly threw a, a wrench into the works. So they're more. So this is they're they were already ser- more seriously divided even before the invasion. Sure. Wow. I don't think I realized. It's always that. a challenge. Now there there was a um, an agreement that came out about a month ago uh, from the International Commission for uh, Theological Dialogue between the Roman uh, between the Catholic and the Orthodox Churches, which uh, made a little bit of advance in understanding of the uh, exercise of primacy and con- conciliarity. Uh, between the first millennium and the second, the idea is to try to get back to a situation where all the churches were in communion in the first millennium. So how do we exercise that primacy of Peter, as you referred to with mm-hmm. uh, John Paul II's encyclical Ut Unum Sint, 
uh, along with uh, an understanding understanding of conciliarity of making decisions together. So it's still a, a very big challenge. I don't think there's anyone out there who is willing to say this is going to happen yeah. in, in our lifetime by uh, 2054, the 1,000th anniversary of the Great Schism, but yeah. Uh, yeah. there's still a lot of hope. It would be nice. <laughs> well, sure. What about is Pope Francis's efforts at the, this synod and synodality coming up? Does that have any uh, meaning for uh, the, the Eastern Orthodox or even for uh, Eastern Rite Catholics? I have to uh, excuse myself from that question because, frankly, uh, Al, I really don't know what uh, Pope Francis is trying to do with this yep. synodality. <laughs> yeah. I haven't read all that much about it. Um, I tried to read the Instrumentum Laboris. Right. It's, it's laborious to get through. It, it is. It's all. It's kind of woolly. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, in the East, there's a different understanding of synodality, and it's basically a gathering of the bishops uh, to make decisions in conjunction with the primate, or the, the head of whatever church it is. Mm-hmm. Um, to, in Ukrainian Greek Catholic life, are there any of the um, Catholic societies, associations, like the Knights of Columbus, that have any place uh, within the Ukrainian, Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church? Oh, absolutely. Uh, the Knights of Columbus were established uh, in Ukraine under his Beatitudes predecessor, Cardinal Lubomir Hussar, uh, about... Um, 2005 or so, and they've grown quite a bit there, and they've been able to certainly assist in some of the humanitarian aid mm-hmm. in this current invasion. Yeah. Uh, Does anything have to be adapted for a Catholic fraternal order, um, you know, to function more effectively with Eastern Catholicism? I don't think so. I think uh, as long as they follow the basic principles of fraternity, charity, and patriotism, and um, there there may be some adaptations uh, as far as liturgical rites and things like that. Mm-hmm. Does um, but they're still you know seeking to be the strong arm of the church, yeah. in, even in Ukraine, and they have great opportunity to be so. Was um. The previous uh, patriarch of the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church, uh, did he have a red hat? Was he a cardinal? Yes, uh, the last one, uh, Cardinal Hussar, and um, several before him, the great Cardinal Joseph Slipe, who yeah, spent 18 yeah. years in the Soviet Gulag and then spent the rest of his time in exile, led the church in exile from Rome. Wow. Uh, was a cardinal, and then his successor, Cardinal Lubachevsky, who actually returned to Ukraine with the fall of the Soviet Empire. Is that to be expected for uh, Archbishop Svatoslav? Well, if you if you want to, you know, sort of follow the precedent set by the previous three, um, 
Pope Francis has certainly surprised people in not yeah. picking certain primates around the world. As, right. You know, we might have thought the Archbishop of Philadelphia or uh, Los, Los Angeles, Angeles yeah. right, might receive a red hat, but they haven't. So um, some people have expressed a little disappointment that, that his Beatitudes, Yatislav, has been passed over a few times, but uh, that's... Uh, yeah, it's, something we really don't really don't uh, have an answer to at this point. Yeah, yeah. He has said, by the way, that you know he's willing to help the Holy Father in any way he can, but um, he doesn't feel he needs a red hat to be an effective sure. head of the church. Yeah, sure. Um, is the Ukrainian Catholic Church uh, suffering from? Uh, waves of migration? Are people fleeing Ukraine? Well, even before the war, I think there was um, you know, the economy in Ukraine was not the greatest, so there was emigration due to economic factors. Uh, the um, refugees to Eastern uh, to to Europe to Poland and other countries in Eastern Europe uh, because of the war has been largely women and children because uh, men uh, under the age of sixty have not been allowed to leave the country they're needed to to uh, be in the army. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what does he what does he like to read? Uh, good question. <laughs> I'm not really sure at this point. Yeah, okay. I, I I do know that he he's a big fan of history. He he loves that saying, you know, uh, uh, history is a great teacher of life. Yeah. yeah. And um, when uh, a few years back, when they started declassifying a lot of Soviet documents, the books, new historical books, were coming out on. The period in which he grew up under, you know, Soviet Ukraine. Yeah, yeah. So uh, he was he was really interested in those, that sort of reading. Well, he, he sounds like a fascinating man with a remarkable uh, task and calling ahead of him right now, and uh, we certainly will uh, keep him in our prayers. And uh, John, let me thank you for the time you spent uh, helping us understand him. You're welcome, Al. Thank you so much. John Berger, At the Foot of the Cross, Lessons from Ukraine, an interview with Archbishop Svatoslav Shevchuk.